Welcome to the HR on the Offensive podcast, brought to you by Lace Partners. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, and welcome to the latest HR on the Offensive Podcast. It's me, Chris Howard from Lace Partners. Thank you, as always, for joining us. We are on one big thing duty today. Because of that, I've got the master of the One Big Thing campaign and the author of our white paper, Mr. Chris Horton, joining me in the room. You all right? That was a big introduction. I know. Great to be here. Thank I'll you. set you up now. If you don't impress our listeners, I'm never letting I'm in you trouble. back on again. I'm in trouble. <laughs> so what we wanted to do, Chris, is we wanted to get an external perspective today on the One Big Thing campaign because we've been talking about it. We've been looking at the three key areas, employee value proposition, talent, and also flexible hybrid working. And that's what the 30 CPOs came to us with and said, those are the things that are keeping them up at night. That was in 2022. And here we are just entering Q2 of 2023. We wanted to reflect and just get an outsider's view on some of these areas. So to do that, we've got the wonderful people, our friends at AppLearn, and I've got the fabulous David Carling, who's a solutions consultant joining us. David, how are you doing? I'm great, thank you. Good morning. It's good to have you on the show. Thank you very much for uh, for coming on. So before we talk like some of the nuances of the One Big Thing campaign itself, it's probably worth for our listeners if you could just give a little bit of a, a minute or so flavour as to who you are, what you do. And then for those that may not be aware of who AppLearn are, if you can just give us a bit of an overview of AppLearn as a business as well and what you guys do. Sure. So I'll start with AppLearn. So we are a digital adoption platform. And to kind of put that in context, we are the Google Maps for enterprise software. So we will wrap our solution around the applications that a business uses. We'll provide those users with guidance, support in the flow of work. And then we will have underpinning of analytics to ensure that the folks that are managing that content and their stakeholders are getting return on investment from that effort and really just kind of completing the picture of total cost of ownership of enterprise software. And we can do that at different stages of a life cycle. So typically we will work with clients that are down the path of their digital transformation journey, let's say, with a, a leaning towards the HR space, but really any enterprise software with large numbers of users where there's a real demand and need. So that's AppLearn. Myself personally, as you kindly introduced me, I'm a, a solutions consultant, which actually is a, a new function within AppLearn. And I sit between the customer success world and what we call professional services, who are the technical implementers who will work with customers to implement their solution. And the reason that that's slightly different is that I will be engaged early in the life cycle of a project just to ensure that we get really good, quick time to value. And then later, so when we're doing our business reviews and perhaps customers have met their initial goals of the project, that we're able to keep that value coming. In my prior life, I was a data scientist and managed data scientists in a large enterprise. So I bring with me that kind of real world experience of, of being on the front line as a line manager in a corporate. And there's a phrase called Maslow's hammer. I don't know if you know that if you're carrying a hammer everything looks like a nail i apply that principle to data <laughs> so every project every challenge that i approach i'm always thinking how can we bring a data-driven or a data-informed lens on this so that's something else that we've always done from a client perspective but what we're doing then is accelerating that and doing it more internally too perfect 
Thanks, David. So great to hear about AppLearn and more about you. If we're looking to the one big thing, so the different topics we talked about and just a reminder to our listeners. So it was talent attraction and retention, hybrid working and the love of my life EVP, um, employee value proposition. I'm interested to hear, do you think those are the three top priorities that you would expect from CPOs or have you heard other topics? I mean, that's a broad church, that list, isn't it? What we would do when we're engaged is really kind of go to a level beneath that. Typically, our customers are committed and are already on the digital transformation journey. And what they're trying to do is meet the objectives that you've mentioned. So talent, onboarding, hybrid working, and so on, value proposition, but really solve those problems through the tools that they have. And then we would provide that consultancy and different guidance on how to do that. But if you're just kind of pulling out one as an example around onboarding as a particular use case, you can see the kind of lens of that fits into actually all of those categories, right? So Mm -hmm. the onboarding experience of the past, I am old enough to remember my first day working for a large American bank where I was handed a folder of policy documents, which I dutifully scanned and put in a drawer, never to see again. I was handed a document for a wet signature, which then handed to my manager. They put that in a drawer, never saw it again. And then I was taken on training and so on. And what we see is that many over the course of the kind of next 20 years, the kind of approach to that has remained largely the same and parts of it have been digitized. And obviously that has really rapidly accelerated through pandemic and post-pandemic. But what our people leaders are coming to us and saying now is absolutely talent is crucial hybrid working is locked in and is unlikely to change. But it's how do I actually tackle you know, the very fine details of where those processes aren't working. And typically what's happened is that they've just taken a pre-digital, pre-pandemic approach and digitized the parts that you can't do face-to-face anymore. Whereas what we recommend is a really holistic approach to the whole thing. Yeah, no, I was just going to say, so it's interesting. So when, when we looked at the ranking, it was talent at the top. Was it hybrid second and EVP was third in terms of the priorities? I'm just interested from your perspective, if we asked that question again, if you asked your clients, for example, what would they, would they put it in that same order, do you think? Yeah, absolutely. So I, I caught up with uh, the rest of the customer success team yesterday and, and just posed this question. And the things that were coming through were talent acquisition and retention and particularly onboarding. So onboarding is obviously thought of as a kind of a first day activity. And it's, you know, your first opportunity to build your culture and build your brand with your employee. In marketing, you'd call that the activation period, right? So you're establishing your relationship, you're giving them the grab bag of goodies and merchandise and, you know, all those other pieces of information. However, what they then find is that they find it difficult to sustain that culture where you don't have a face-to-face relationship and their candidates, the expectation level has been reset in the candidate's favor in terms of flexible working, commuting distances and locations, and then external commitments, care commitments, and so on. So what they're finding is that the kind of the expectation has been reset. Flexible working is required. That then feeds into talent. The people that they want expect this now. And what they lack then is the ability or the tools to meet those needs on an ongoing basis after day one. So David, during the pandemic and post-pandemic, we've seen lots of people move to the cloud so that they're able to perform work from anywhere. I think the interesting thing, and you've touched on it with onboarding, I think 
to me, the employee experience is fundamental. And I think it has to be a huge focus to deliver against all of these. So whether it's talent acquisition and the other areas around EVP or whether it's around hybrid working, I think the the interesting thing and the crazy stats that I've seen recently that people are accessing 80 different tools at work, 80 different apps. And that kind of blows my mind because I sit there and go, probably in my home life, I use probably six to 10 maximum on a regular basis. So that's probably a comfort level that we as human beings can cope with that level of interaction and different user interfaces. From a facing 80 different apps at work or on average 80 different apps, what kind of problems do you see and what kind of things do you think we need to focus on to help people better cope with that or better be able to do their work? Yeah, I mean, so you you know you mentioned eighty apps there. I think that's probably on the low end of some enterprises. I know that one customer that we deal with, they provided us an inventory and said, "Where we should we go next?" There were fifteen hundred user based applications on Crazy. top of all of the exactly on top of everything else that you would expect in a business. So perhaps it isn't touching a, an individual user. So it's a significant challenge. Also, we had a conversation recently with a global expert on accessibility, and actually this chap was part of the working group that defined the WCAG guidelines. So real genuine expert, but he told a really interesting story about some business apps that he needed to use, which was one of his 80, one of his 75, whatever the number is. And he only had to access it twice a year. It was very specific to a particular business process. It was really well suited to that task. There was no real appetite to replace that, consolidate or, or whatever. It was cloud facing and, and all the rest of it. So it was in your buy portion of your overall uh, you know, software strategy. But for that individual, it was very problematic. What we find then is that even in what would consider to be intuitive UX for one application, if it's different to the next one, there is a learning, there's a fatigue element that comes with kind of reappraising himself to that. And again, if he's only doing that twice a year, it wouldn't necessarily make sense to send him on traditional training or classroom-based training. So what we find is that, you know, there is there is talk of consolidation, but it isn't being driven by a retraction in budgets, actually, which we were quite surprised by. So I don't know if your research backs this up, but we assumed, you know, post-pandemic, and then when you start looking at cost of living crisis and all the external factors, inflation and so on, you would assume that that would naturally translate into cutting of budgets. That isn't what we found. What we found is that our contacts need to prove value in their digital transformation. So do more with the same or perhaps do more with less not do less, if that makes sense. And again, the challenge that we have here around all software is the kind of no ugly baby syndrome, which is if you're going to RFP and you emphasize usability, accessibility, simplicity, every vendor will probably with good conscience claim that for their own application. So something like a digital adoption platform, what that will provide is kind of that layer that sits over the top. So you can provide the same UX, the same access to support and guidance across multiple applications, and it will complement the kind of the strong point of that piece of software underneath it without then having to go down the road of saying, right, well, we're going to consolidate our 1500 business application into 100. That is in itself a, you know, a cost intensive activity. And David, can we take that to an example level? So I'm thinking in the past with colleagues that I've worked with who were, you know, line managers who probably were a hiring manager maybe once or twice a year yep. due to team movements. Now that might be more frequent now, but definitely the example holds for the past. Is that the kind of thing you're talking about or are there other examples that you could share? 
So, I mean, I can bring a personal anecdote to this, if that's okay. So my previous role, I was a senior manager of a machine learning operations team. So knowledge workers, highly specialized, and that involved all the normal amounts of line management activities, as well as what you might say is kind of project work, presentations and value add work as well. And it was a real mixture, a real balance between those two. And I had to hire a contractor going to meet an immediate need. We had a tight deadline. And also back to the point around talent, very hot market for these types of niche specialist skills. So we were told this contractor was available, but we had to commit the purchase order the same day or they'd go to another client. That's just the way it works. I had not done this before. I was a relatively new line manager at that time. I was given access to the platform that, that managed that, which was separate to the platform that I used to manage the rest of my team and separate to the one that I used to recruit non-contractor employees. So three places to do what to me appeared to be the same task. But anyway, and I was then given 24 hours to submit that request to meet a budget deadline. And the guidance that I was given to achieve that task was, this is going to sound apocryphal, but please believe me, this did happen, was a photocopy of a guide that had been printed out with handwritten notes, 100 page PDF. And the thing that I need to do was on page you know 75 with an addendum on page 200 or whatever and i filled it in the application took my request i was very diligent submitted it and it was rejected and we lost the contractor they went to another company super frustrating that was just one example and you know i was talking to my colleagues and the hr team and the the kind of back to that total cost of ownership piece when recruitment is taken out of a cost center and federated out to line managers there are huge benefits so proximity to the line manager engagement and so on if you want to hire someone you should be the person that manages that process. Absolutely. And also, you know, in terms of speed and agility, if I decide in the morning I want to hire someone, I can do it myself, then that's fantastic. The challenge is that there's a level of expertise that's required there, even with the best UX in the world. The real world is complex. People are complex. Processes and policies are complex. So it's very difficult to remove that completely. And as you suggested, I would then become an expert at hiring contractors through this platform. And I might do it once a year or maybe once in my whole career. So I think the interesting thing, let's face it, these kind of things are still always going to happen. Yeah? There's always going to be the once a year, twice a year events that will always be a requirement, whether it's line managers or senior leaders to do. How do you think we can address that problem? What's the best way to provide a solution? The steps are there, the systems are there. So either we get good at consolidating systems and bringing everything together, or we think of a different way of doing it. And I can see both working. One is probably slightly costlier than another, but I'm interested in your view. How would you approach the problem? So the counterpoint is how could you do it badly, I guess? What would non-performant in that question look like? And then I cast my mind back to my first day at my American bank 20 years ago and how yeah. I was trained on highly complex one-off processes back then, which yeah. is here is your folio of information. You stick that yeah. in your locker. You're going to be in training for the next two weeks. You'll have access to an expert for that period. Away you go. And then you might then pick up that task a year from now. So what is it about that that works at the time? It's the only way to efficiently deliver learning in that scenario, which is synchronous. So you have an expert, you have a room, you have your learner, they're all together at the same point. That's the only way for that to be delivered because the alternative would be what? To have access to classroom-based learning experts on 24-7 demand. Not practical in the you know in the current climate. Again, we were speaking to a, a, a client just yesterday and their driver was upscaling employees in finance, a particularly complex area, regulated in some places, and their training delivery budget had been capped and yet their demand for users had been increased. So again, it was do more with the same. They physically couldn't deliver classroom-based training, even if it's virtual, at 
the cost that they had available to fulfill in terms of training facilitators and so on. So fast forward to now, how would we address the synchronous part? And what we find is that the best way to tackle that issue is not to try and solve it in that way. So if you can make that task and the learning coupled together. So when I go to fulfill my contractor onboarding task in my enterprise platform, I care about that topic now, only now, and very deeply for the next half an hour. Mm. I'm in the mindset, I'm in the context, and I need support where I am. So bring that to me where I am, not send me out on a digital safari to go find that information. And, you know, that kind of crucial thing is then making the whole thing asynchronous. So your learning and development experts within the HR function, their expertise is understanding the processes, understanding the systems, writing the content, and then it's delivered to the user at the point of need in context when it's required. And so the delivery of that learning is then not part of their day job. Their expertise is in making the learning content the absolute the best quality that it can be. So so in in developing that content and making it accessible, I guess the key point to me is how do you get that to people? How do you, how do you how do you know that so you know I'm the, I'm that line manager who's got you know an hour to to find that contractor um, yeah. how do, how do you go about making that an easier find and then being able to use the 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 technology and the, and the piece of learning to actually quickly drive that task and, and get it off my to-do list in the next hour or so sure so there's two parts to that answer again thinking to the past learning was push you come to the training session and i give you information what everyone expects now, and we expect this in our daily lives, right? When you open up your, you know, your own mobile phone, it's pull. I want to know about train times right now. I'm going to go and get them for myself. So the first thing is to attach the learning to the application itself. So digital adoption platforms can do that. In-app guidance can do that and so on. Coupled to the task on demand, there's two two crucial parts. The second part of the question is around making learning more bite-sized. So again, we had a really great meeting with a client this week and, and everyone in customer success described it as the eureka moment. And it happens with clients when they're slightly further down the line of digital transformation. So, you know, it's kind of uh, perhaps the, the, the kind of grief curve analogy within change. You know, once you've gone through that first period of, of you know, significant digital change, where, you know, the, the main objective is stabilization, get everything running, select a vendor, take advice and so on. Once you're through that and you're into the optimization phase, what we find is that they will have started with a mindset of a 200 page PDF that covers the complete inventory of tasks within job requisition. All the information is in there, really well written, fantastic, literally a two, two, three hundred page PDF. There you go. We would then say, great, well, that can be delivered to learners at the point of need. Brill, that's the first point, uh, the first part of my of my answer. However, if you want to see real engagement, and I'll come back to the C part of that phrase in a moment. If you want to see engagement in that learning, it needs to be split down really into very fine pieces that allows the user to self-serve. 
So back to my anecdote from before, my 200-page handwritten document about how to onboard contractors. The challenge that I had is that the, the, the piece of information that I needed, that I neglected to see and made the mistake on and, and caused the, the, the quality issue, was just one line in a whole paragraph of text. It was giving me basic introductions on how to log into the system. Well, I've done that. I'm past that point. You can assume that I have logged in, so I don't need three pages on how to log in. I also don't need a guide on how to onboard a new user to the system. Someone else did that for me. I'm there already. Yeah. So you have to kind of, again, go through a digital safari to kind of get through a very comprehensive, high quality guide to find the one line that's relevant to me. It's very difficult to do that in a kind of traditional, either classroom based approach or, you know, a single monolithic PDF with everything else in it. So what we would then say is individual field level guidance is where customers should be aiming for. And again, context aware and optional. So as you're going through that application, if it says, hey, would you like to know how to log in? Nope, gone. Don't ask me again. Do you need um, help on this page? Nope, don't ask me again. Actually, then I'm only going to show you help on this part of the job requisition task when you get to that step in the process. So I'm not going to overload you with information that isn't yet relevant. I'm going to let you go through steps one, two, and three, and then we would find that help is required on step five. It's only at that point a digital adoption platform or other tools, in-app guidance, whatever, would then fire up and say, hey, most users need help on this step. Can I tell you how to approach this? And that's also really where... Um, customization can come into it. So you, we talked about consolidation of applications and you know the kind of plethora of apps. There's a real balance there between taking a vendor's system off the shelf and then choosing to customize it back to represent the workflows you had in your business before. That's a real decision to make as a business. Do you kind of shape your business to fit the tool or do you shape the tool to fit the business? And what we found is that you can really gain a great deal of benefit of just calling out those little customizations, even if the application itself isn't doing so. If you need to put through a job requisition and the first line of the comment box has to be a code, tell the user at that point, hey, if you submit this, the system will let you, it won't error, you won't have done anything wrong, but your task will be fulfilled much more quickly if you include the reference code. And there's more information somewhere else as to go and get that. And then if they don't know what that means, they can go and get further guidance. But if it's just that little nudge, they can take that at the point it's required, put through the job code, the task completes successfully. I said I would come back to the point around engagement and seeing engagement. And that's another thing that's really crucial and is coming through very strongly with all of our clients, which is data-driven, analytics-driven, AI focus is, you know, our table stakes now for all enterprise software. So I've presented my learning material. Do I know it's popular? I can take feedback. I can do surveys and so on. That's great. Still continue with those. You have employee councils and working groups. Continue with those. Absolutely. But there's a real value in being able to supplement that with very fine, detailed analytics to say, this, this system, this page, this task has a high volume of traffic, but it completes successfully and there's no quality issues and it isn't reworked and, you know, the duration of each individual task is low. Well, we would say, well, don't give anybody support on that task. It's not necessary and it slows them down. 
So leave, you know, it's as much about doing less when it's not needed as well as always doing more. In other areas, we have process hotspots that would show up in the analytics. We would then suggest support, learning, call outs to individual, you know, to, to external systems. We've had customers that have built meeting request pages into an application. So I'm stuck on this. Help me right now. Yeah. Pull in the HR representative to speak to them at that point. And then once that works for a period of time, retire it. We're definitely seeing a lot more clients who are asking the question, where is our technology broken or where are technology hotspots being raised and using different technology to actually see those. And I think it's it's a fundamental area that can really highlight. I'm the greatest believer and the, the greatest proponent of data-driven um, decision-making because I think it's fundamental. I personally think a lot of HR shy away from the word data and we need to get better at it. At it. I think a lot of companies are doing more and more, but I think definitely we all need to take up the mantle and, and realize that that you know you can make a case for return on investment. You can make a, a financial case for all of these things. It's just us getting more proficient in a different area than perhaps a lot of us have, have worked in the past. So I think that's fundamental. I really think it's fascinating to talk about, you know, how do you highlight those hotspots that are causing problems and really looking at therefore what's the What's the the at point of need requirement that's there? You mentioned, you know, some of the the folk that you speak to are, are hesitant around data. Why do you think that is? I think capability. I think past experience. I think it's and let's look at it with. I think you can ask a question to get an answer, or you can ask a question to hypothesize and come up with different models and and work out different things. Yep. So I think there's a level of interpretation. I think there's a level of there's massive discussions around ethics and what you're trying to actually solve. So for example, I look at productivity. And I'd rather call it performance than productivity because I think mm. productivity is a very sort of old school, you know, scientific method of, of deriving something. I'd rather look at the performance of a business. And so we've had lots of questions from CPOs and and. Uh, senior leaders around productivity or performance of hybrid workers, whether they're at home or in the office, and does it make sense to call everyone back? Now, depending on how you ask that question, depending on how you define the activity, I can prove that one way or another. Yes. Um, so, so I think there is, I think there's a level of learning, a level of experience, a level of understanding that we have to challenge ourselves, build capability, build teams that are capable of in an ethical unbiased way mm. of answering a set of hypotheses that come up with different models so that we can then as leaders say here are the potential insights that we've taken from this and here's the here's the interpretation of that and here's the direction that we need to take so i think i think it's absolutely fundamental i think there's a massive shift in hr happening but i think we really need to we need to get better at point of need to understand because i think there's almost operational analytics that we need to to do but i think then there's much more whether it's behavioral things whether whether it's looking at different skills for the future whether it's looking at you know decisions around hybrid working or anything workplace related i think there's a real i think there's different buckets of skills and expertise that are needed but i think 
it's really saying what are the points that are important to have data-led decision-making versus mm. what are the ones that are working anyway so we don't need to invest massively in, in creating a broader understanding because if it's if it's not broken, why fix it? Yeah, yeah. I heard a phrase the other day, which was uh, quiet hiring, which is the kind of opposite of quiet quitting, which became quite a fashionable term. And I thought that was really interesting to the point you just made there around kind of upskilling and building capability within HR teams, uh, CPOs, HRIS teams, and so on, uh, you know, to approach data analytics, machine learning, and so on, to bring just the level that's required to do their job. I think that, again, is something that can be oversold in the analytics space, analysis paralysis. If we just build an enormous dashboard with every possible metric, and then the value of doing that will come through at some point, that can also be quite problematic to, the, to, to what you said, which, again, is something that I was going to talk about later, actually, around security, privacy, compliance is now being talked about through by our buyers much earlier in the deal cycle than we would ever have experienced before. So in the past, you know, you would have your kind of checkbox exercise of, you know, are you are you ISO certified? Are you GDPR compliant? And so on. And of course, every vendor needs to be. That's, that's uh, you know, table stakes. However, we are now having those conversations in much greater depth much sooner than we would have done previously. So what is your stance on the right to be forgotten? What is your stance on the right to be unlearned from a model perspective and so on? And vendors need to be ready to answer those questions. And the, you know, the CPOs need to have the capability to pose those questions and get the answers that they that they need. Yeah. This particular area is something that we're talking about a lot all around the analytics space. I do wonder if we ask the same question to the CPOs, whether or not the analytics side of it would be higher up on their, their list if we started to ask that now. And in fact, at Lace Partners, we have just, not at the time of recording, but by the time this uh, this is released, we've just developed an analytics uh, community. We're developing an analytic mm. community of, of people that want to come together and, and share ideas and things like that. And we've also got a uh, white paper, which we've launched, which is available on our website if you go to the insights section. So certainly worth uh, checking that out. We are just out of time for today. It's been fascinating listening to you guys because I feel like we probably could have done a mega long podcast that's about a couple of hours long, but that's not the nature of this podcast. We obviously try to keep it to 30 minutes. It's been fabulous getting your views, David, on uh, the one big thing topics. But actually also when we then started to delve into the analytics side, I thought that was a really, really good debate as well. So thank you very much for coming on. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's been really good. It's been great having you on, Mr. Horton, as always. Great to have you uh, partner in criming with me. Mr. Howard, thank you very much. You could, of course, get this podcast wherever you get your podcasts. I don't need to tell you where you get your podcast because you already know. But if you'd like to see our back catalogue, you can go on to lacepartners.co.uk forward slash podcast. You can also go to our insight section, as I mentioned. We've got that white paper on analytics. We've got a community which regularly meets or will be regularly meeting just to discuss all things in the analytics space. So if you are interested in that, then you can either drop myself an email at chris at lacepartners.co.uk or Mr. Horton, who is one of the chairs of that community, which is chris.horton at lacepartners.co.uk. I got it right. Super. I'm impressed. Thank you very much for listening. We hope you've enjoyed it and we will see you next time on the HR on the Effective Podcast. Bye-bye.